Welcome to the Hairdryer Treatment Podcast, powered by Kevin Grogan Soccer, Soccer Coffee and much more. Welcome to the show this week. We're delighted to have an interview with Salma Tariq, former Egyptian international player. She talks about playing for Egypt. She talks about coaching here in America, travel level, being a role model. And she also talks about the upcoming Women's World Cup. It's a really interesting interview. Um, lots happening around the world in soccer as always. Delighted to have seen that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer got the Manchester United job on a permanent basis. Um, although he's had two bad results of late, I think he's a great signing. I think he has proved himself to be good enough for the job. I think it'll be really interesting now leading up uh, to the transfer window during the summer and um, what kind of signings he makes. I know Mike Phelan will be in there with him as an assistant manager who obviously has a wealth of knowledge and experience. And I just think the overall feel-good factor of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and Mike Phelan being there is great and um, it'll be very interesting to see what happens. So after the break, we will go straight into our interview with Salma Tariq. The Hairdryer Treatment Podcast is proudly sponsored by Rezzel. Rezzel is the market-leading, academically validated VR training and cognitive development tool for elite football and is already installed at world-leading clubs. Rezzel.com Hi Salma, welcome to the show. How are you? Hey Kevin, I'm good. How are you? Very good. So let's start by, why don't you tell people where you were born and your first memories of playing soccer? Well, I was born in Cairo, Egypt. Uh, my first memory of playing soccer when, is when I was seven. Um, I had just moved to New York from Egypt and I ended up at an elementary school um, trying out for East Meadow Soccer Club and having my coach tell my mom, you know, how long has she been playing? She's really, really good. And my mom just looked at him and said, she's never touched a soccer ball in her life. Uh, we actually just moved here from Egypt. But, uh, you know, I'm glad she's good. So you, you had that natural ability for, from day one. Now, you, of course, went on to play for Egypt and represent your country. What was that like? Was that a proud moment? That, that was one of the proudest moments, I would say, of my career. Um, I, I don't think there's a better feeling than playing for your country. Um, you know, club team is great. Collegiately, it's great. But there's something that's just very prideful about playing for the country that you were born in. And you, of course, played in the African Cup of Nations. What, obviously, the standard must have been so high. It's the, it's the highest level, really. Um, you know, how did you find competing at that level? And, and, and mates? That was definitely the highlight of the national team. Um, achieve every year, just you know, getting into the African Cup of Nations, which we haven't done in, I would say, 20 years. Um, so competing at that level was absolutely insane. The atmosphere was ridiculous. You know, the, our first game against Cameroon, opening ceremony, um, it was sold out. The streets were packed, couldn't hear anything. Um, and just interacting with the girls is, is, is obviously very, very hard for me. Um, I don't speak fluent Arabic. I could understand more than I could talk. But there's something about the game of soccer where it's just one language. And I, of course, had a translator. Um, I'd say there's three girls that really understood English and spoke English. 
But regardless of that, we, we still had an amazing time together. And somehow we just kind of understood each other, even though we didn't speak the same language. And I remember, I think it was ESPN. I seen one of your goals. You scored an important goal goal in that tournament. Yeah, it was it was it was fairly important. Um, you know, I scored in the 80th minute, uh, one nothing. We're up one nothing. We have like four minutes left on my 27th birthday, and it it granted us our first win ever in the African Cup of Nations for the female uh, national team. So that was uh, definitely a memorable experience for everyone. That night, everybody yeah. just went absolutely insane. Yeah, it seems like a great experience and, and a great feeling to play for your country. So if we kind of dial it back a bit then to when you moved over and you, you talked about kind of that natural ability you had and then you went into kind of playing travel soccer. What was your kind of travel soccer story? So I started to play for East Meadows Soccer Club. Um, my coaches found that I was natural. Um, honestly, moving moving here with my mom and she was a single mom and four kids. Um, you know, we didn't have a lot of money. So he actually, my coach that, you know, believed in me, ended up paying for me to play. Um, so if it, if it wasn't for him, I, I probably wouldn't be where I am right now. Um, yeah, that's an interesting thing because, you know, something I've talked about before on the podcast is the kind of pay-to-play model, which is very different to kind of what I would be used growing up. So that's amazing that your kind of coach did that. Like, I mean, where are we at in America with that in terms of, you know, is is it is it affecting our game and our development by everyone paying? I think it it affects it tremendously. Um, you know, I, I there's certain clubs where you're you're paying a couple of grand a year, um, just for your child to play, and it, it might not be a very high level. Um, and I, I think it's I think it's a little ridiculous, honestly, in the amount that they're paying, and they have multiple kids. Um, and if it wasn't for people like my coach, you know, I would have never played, and and. To be honest, I think it's a little unfair because some of the more raw talents, the more natural ability players, the ones that really do love the game can't afford it. And there's not really another option for them except, you know, maybe playing at the park or just playing pickup with their friends. Um, and it's not organized and they don't really get to develop like a lot of other kids. Yeah, it's a great point. I mean, it was the same for me growing up in Ireland. We would have paid the equivalent of a dollar a week, you know, <laughs> to, to, to pay the referee or wash the kit. But we wouldn't have been in a position to afford it. Right. Um, and you're you're right. A lot of a lot of the, the best players and raw talent kind of wouldn't be in that position. So it's fantastic you had that coach and, and a great role model, I'm sure. And you progressed then and, and you had a lot of colleges interested. And I think you started in the California state of Northridge. Yeah, I, I ended up uh, moving to California when I was a freshman in high school. So I, I ended up getting a full ride over there, uh, Cal State Northridge. And my family actually moved back when I signed. Uh, they moved back to New York. So I played my first year out there. My mom flew out, I think, twice. And, you know, kind of just gave me the guilt trip and, you know, asked if I could transfer back uh, to New York so she could watch me play every weekend. And, you know, family to me is the most important thing in my life. Um, so it was a no-brainer. You know, I ended up transferring to Hofstra very, very late um, into preseason, actually, because the head coach, Sir Simon, doesn't take players unless he's seen them play. Um, I didn't have any footage. My coach in Cal State Northridge was not giving me any footage. And, um, you know, thankfully, he did speak to some of the coaches that I played for at East Meadow Soccer Club. And 10 minutes later, he called and said, OK, get on a flight. We'll take you. And I, w I was shocked. I, w I had no idea I was going to go. Um, and, you know, I was 
I was probably the only player that he took that he didn't actually see before before recruiting me. So no, obviously Hofstra is a great program, and and I know you did very well there. Um, how did you find kind of balancing the the kind of playing and studying aspect? Because you know primarily you have to get an education, which is really really important. Yeah, I think my motivation honestly was I wasn't going to college unless I played soccer. And knowing that I was going to play soccer, I had to have a 2.5. But, you know, Simon's standard was at least a 3.0, and he demanded a lot from his players. And to me, it just had to get done. You just had to find a way to do it. Um, our soccer schedule was insane. We were away every other weekend, um, traveling eight hours every weekend, practicing every day except Monday. And you just get in a routine, especially after your freshman year. You really understand what needs to get done, and you have to prioritize. And you learn time management. And your teammates really help you because, you know, if you don't succeed off the field, you're not going to succeed on the field. Yeah, that's a great point. It's just about having a good attitude in life and a good work ethic and everything you do. You obviously went in to kind of start coaching and travel and at college level, was that something, and you still do it now, um, is that something you really enjoyed, kind of helping the next generation? It's 100% what I enjoy. Um, if it wasn't for my coach, you know, paying for me to play, I would have never understood the sport or even loved it. It's given me my life. It's given me my education. It's giving me the experience to travel around the world for free and get paid for it. And it's given me a different perspective being a coach now. Because, you know, there's players now, I think, that especially in, in, in the youth programs and, you know, going through club soccer, they struggle with a lot of things in school. And, you know, I think being an outlet for them and, and really being more of a mentor than a coach um, and just having that relationship with your players, I think, means the world to them. Um, and it, you know, does kind of make it worth it what they pay um, because I'm, I'm invested in every part of their life, not just soccer. You know, I'll, I'll go to the graduations. I'll go to the Sweet 16s. I'll, I'll go to if they're in a show and a play. Um, I'm, I'm overly invested in their life because my coach, thank God for him. Otherwise, I wouldn't have the life I have. And I can only try to pay it forward in that aspect. Yeah, that's really impressive that you take a real kind of um, interest in their life outside of playing as well. Because, you know, a lot of times coaches are putting so much pressure on parents on the kids in terms of playing and there's a bigger picture there isn't there we're really developing people and being a support system for them as well outside of playing correct a hundred percent um you know I have, I have an older team and they're sophomores and juniors in high school and you know what goes on in high school in those ages and I always say look no matter where you are I will not ask questions I will pick you up I will I will do whatever I have to do to get you home safe if you don't feel comfortable if you're scared, whatever the situation is, no questions asked. I'll be there. You could call me anytime. I do not sleep. Um, and, and they trust me. And I think that's a massive thing, especially at their age, just to trust somebody else and be okay with it, knowing that that person is not going to judge you, not ask questions about anything that you're doing. And, you know, try to teach you maybe what not to do and things like that. So I think it's, that's been the, the best joy for me. And, and just being with these girls through four years now, and, and they, they fully trust me and tell me things that, you know, I, I never told my coach. Um, and I think that's that's very important for them because, again, it's it's the bigger picture. You know, I'm building character. I'm not building a player. Yeah, that's brilliant. That's amazing to hear. And it's it's really a, it's a really good thing that you're there from off the field as well. So just kind of talking then just about kind of women's soccer in America, 
Um, you know, there's lots of talk about different things in recent times. Do you feel that women in general are getting the same amount of opportunities as men, whether that be playing wise, whether that be job wise? Do you think there is an issue there? Yeah, I think there's an issue there, not just in soccer of the world. Um, you know, soccer wise, yes, there, there's obviously a professional league here, but it's it's on and off. Um, you know, and I think pay has been a big deal and, and that's now finally getting somewhat adjusted for the, the women's national team. Um, you know, a big reason I didn't go pro is because of the pay. Honestly, I said I could do more with coaching. I could impact more people and I could get paid more than I would as playing as a professional, which to me was insane. Um, you know, and I grew up thinking like that's, that's the way to do it because I would watch Messi play and I'd watch Ronaldo and I'd watch Beckham and I wanted to be them in the female game. Um, but looking at their salaries compared to the women's salaries, I, I was, I was definitely shocked. And, you know, pissed off and annoyed, um, you know, and I think job opportunities, I think it's it's slowly transitioning. Um, you know, I'm starting to see a few females be able to coach, you know, male soccer players, whether it's collegiately or professionally. Um, I still think it's very slow, but, you know, it's improving. That's what I could say about it. Yeah, it's bizarre with the kind of wage structure, because. You know, I've firsthand, I've seen you play. I've seen people like Michaela Hell play and without giving you a big head, like quality, quality players, as, as much ability as some of the top, top male players. Yet there, some of them are on, you know, 30, 40, 50,000, you know, pounds a week. Yet, you know, you come into maybe the American system or the professional system around the world and, and people aren't, some women at the highest level aren't even making that a year. It's a big issue. It's a massive issue. And I think... Again, I go back to the talent, um, you know, with club soccer and not having the raw players be able to pay. You don't, you don't get the raw players being able to play at that level because they don't get paid anything. They don't get paid enough to support themselves where, you know, if you go professional in the States and you have to be housed with a family um, that you don't know and, and you, that's, you're under their roof, um, you know, it's, it's not an easy living situation. It's not an easy transition. You're away from your family. Um, you're with strangers that you don't know that you're living with. And again, you don't, you're not really getting paid. Um, and sometimes, you know, the women have to work a side job such as coaching while playing professional. And that to me is just added stress where it shouldn't happen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I really hope it changes and more sponsorship comes involved and um, things change in that aspect. Cause the, there's no difference in the talent, obviously. Um, yeah, I agree. Yeah. So, um, you know, I actually funny, I was telling a few of uh, the Clarkstown girls that you were coming on the show today, and actually I asked them, did they have any questions? And two questions that popped up. What is your favorite movie and what is your favorite food? <laughs> to- totally <laughs> off topic, but... Totally off topic. Um, that's a very good one. Uh, favorite food is honestly honestly anything I could eat. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't have a favorite food because I love food. Um, I will eat anything at least once. I will try anything at least once. And if I don't like it, I don't like it. But I am probably a garbage disposal in that aspect. I will eat anything and everything in my face. So that's that's definitely one. I, I'll say I love chocolate. I definitely love chocolate. Um, favorite movie? That, that might stump me a little bit because there's so many good ones. Um, so I, I'm not... I'm not too sure with that. I would say 
My favorite type of movie is a scary movie. I'm a sucker okay. for those. Um, so anytime a scary movie comes out, I have to go watch it. I'm, I'm a little addicted to them. Very interesting. And then obviously the Women's World Cup is coming up. Um, do you have a favorite for that? England are very strong at the moment. America, always strong. Japan are strong. Um, do you have a favorite for that? Uh, I will always root for the U.S. because obviously I live here and I and I feel obligated to do that because it is my country that I live in now. I would say, you know, France is going to be a contender, I think, as well as Germany and England as well. I would say those are the top four for me. Fair, very good. Well, Samuel, listen, I really appreciate you coming on the show. It's been great talking to you and I will definitely get you back on again for a more in-depth interview. I know you're in a rush there, but thank you very much. No, no problem. Thank you for having me. The Hairdryer Treatment Podcast is proudly sponsored by Rezzle. Rezzle is the market-leading, academically validated VR training and cognitive development tool for elite football and is already installed at world-leading clubs. Rezzle.com. <laughs>